Hi everyone, Philip Sutka here. I have a small favor to ask. I recently updated the Dark River website and with it launched a new mailing list for the podcast. An email list is any author or podcaster's superpower. It's the most direct way that creators such as myself can connect with their audience. I have an exciting announcement coming soon and would like to share it with you first. And I'm going to need your help in launching this new development. So if you would be so kind... Go to darkriver.ca and access the hidden episode at the top of the homepage to sign up for the mailing list. Not only will you be the first to know about updates, but you'll also have access to a behind-the-scenes look at how I created each of the stories. If you try it for a bit and decide that it's not for you, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of any of the emails. Believe me, I will not take offense. I will just be so thankful that you were willing to give it a shot in the first place. So head over to darkriver.ca, access the hidden episode, and join the ghosts in uncovering the town's secrets before anyone else. And now, on with today's story. Thank you for joining me in this strange small town in northern Ontario. My name is Philip Psutka. If this is your first time visiting, I'll be your guide. If you're a familiar face, it's good to have you back. The town embraces newcomers and old friends alike. But be warned, it doesn't easily let you go. So dim the lamps, settle in. Welcome to Dark River. Crunch. The dogs raised their heads, ears perked. The vast grey sky around them was darkening, slowly at first, and then picking up pace as the sun began to set, buried somewhere behind winter's fog. The trees were turning black and the white of the snow was losing its glisten to the dreary evening. Crunch! There it was again. This time the dogs barked in the direction of the sound across the field, but let up when they neither saw nor smelled anything. Their ears, however, remained standing to attention. It was not unusual for animals to approach the yard at dusk, and there were chickens to defend. Along with the chicken hut, Four other structures peppered the yard. These small houses were for the loyal guards, who were each leashed to them with enough length of rope to allow the dogs to almost reach one another. Almost, but not quite. Although Rufus was the clear alpha, there could easily be dissension among the ranks, if given enough opportunity. Crunch! Now all four were at it, pulling at their ropes, leaping into the air at the ends of their tethers to try and get at whatever was out there. It was odd for any animal to move so slowly, yet so audibly. Odder still, nothing yet could be seen, despite the fact that the sound was coming from the center of the nearby field. Then all was silent. The sun had descended, and so too had the darkness. The field remained empty and still, the snow on it as smooth as the covers of a newly made bed. 
the dogs didn't hear another sound out of the ordinary for the rest of the night. Catherine could hear the dogs outside before she even made it down the stairs the next morning. The yips and barks were part of the morning routine, for they knew that she was on her way out to feed them. Although her husband was a hunter, the dogs were hers, and Paul would always let her know when he intended to take one of them out on a hunt with him. It was this respect for one another to which they both attributed the success of their marriage. They had originally gotten the dogs for hunting purposes, as they were poor and lived mainly off the land. Her husband was an expert subsistence hunter and refused to even consider taking on a trade, so Catherine made the most of what they had, tending to the gardens in the spring and summer and canning in the fall and winter. She also tended to the dogs and got to know each of them well. There was Rufus, an Alaskan Malamute, and the leader of the pack, with thick black and gray fur along his back and white along his legs and belly, as if he had been snow-stained underneath. Copper was the odd one out, a Chinook with a slightly dopey grin and intense black eyes. The pack was rounded out by Harley and Lisa, two pure-white Samoyeds who were brother and sister and looked like explosions of snow with legs. Together they made up the team for Catherine's favorite winter activity. Nearly every day throughout the long, cold northern Ontario winters, Catherine would hitch all of them up to a small one-person sled and take them out for a long ride across the field and through the forest that surrounded their small property. She had a harmonious relationship with her husband indeed, for he inadvertently cleared trails through the forest over the summer months for his hunting, opening them up for Catherine and her team in the winter. And she took full advantage of it. I'm coming, I'm coming, she called out the door as Rufus gave his signature woo woo woo, which was one of the few times that he ever made a sound. This was one of the reasons why he made such an ideal leader of the sled team. He kept the other dogs quiet while out on the trail by his example. Just not at breakfast. All of them, except for Copper, had been a handful to train, and while Paul originally intended to do it himself, Catherine would hear none of it. In fact, she quickly took full control of the training, while her husband respectfully took a back seat. She was firm, but persistent. She used positive reinforcement whenever appropriate, and never shouted at them, but would be stern enough when each of them in turn found moments to try and play Alpha. Even Rufus knew his place with her. Catherine pulled on her boots and a warm wool coat and stepped outside. It was a sunny morning for January, and the air was so crisp that she could almost feel it crackle against her skin. The field was pure white and almost blinding to look at with the sun reflecting off of it. She crossed to the small shed next to the house and pulled out a barrel full of animal bones and scraps. Although Paul was adamant about using as much of the animals he killed as possible for themselves, there was always something left over for the dogs which was good, as the couple didn't have a lot of money to spend on fancy dog biscuits or any type of prepared food. Pet food from a can was still unheard of at this time, 
and wouldn't begin to become popular for another ten years. You first, mister, she said as she tossed a few scraps to Rufus. This was customary, not just as a reward for being the leader of the pack, but also to remind the others of their place. She couldn't have them acting out while they were whipping along a slick, snow-covered trail. And here's for you, missy, as she threw some to Lisa before tossing a bit to her brother and the dopey Chinook last of all, following it up with a rough head massage. Copper wagged his tail and gave a snort of satisfaction. As the dogs chowed down, Catherine returned to the warmth of the house to prepare breakfast for herself. The wood-burning stove was already roaring. Paul had stoked it earlier. She noticed that his Colt Burgess wasn't resting by the front door where it normally did, so he must be gone already. Looking out the window, she could see his footprints leading off to the edge of the field before disappearing into the forest. He had left some fresh eggs that he had collected earlier on the table for her. Smiling, she cracked a few into a pan and watched them hiss and bubble as they cooked, like ponds freezing over. It was too good of a day to waste, so she finished breakfast as quickly as she could before pulling her boots back on, along with her coat, a warm wool scarf over top, mittens, and a thick wool hat. She threw a few more logs in the stove for good measure before damping it down to preserve the heat, and headed back out into the morning sunlight. The dogs perked up instantly as she brought the sled out from behind the shed. At the sound of her whistle, they all sat obediently, barely able to contain their excitement. She hooked them up, Rufus and Lisa in front, and Harley next to Copper in the back. The sled itself was basic and consisted of two runners beneath a small platform with a riser for sitting on. Paul had made it as a Christmas present for her two years ago. Catherine took the lines attached to the two rear dogs before stepping up and taking her seat. She could feel the energy of the dogs ready to go at the second of her command. She always gave a slight pause here to check and make sure that they still respected who was in charge. Although they would have loved nothing more than bounding ahead, not one of them moved a muscle until... Hip! And with that, they were off like a bullet from her husband's Burgess. Wind and white whipped past as the dogs surged forward. They shot out across the field, and the approaching tree line grew larger by the second. The dogs knew their way. She had only to hold on. As they entered the forest, she felt a flare in her chest, as if a crow had flown across her heart. But she had little time to dwell on it, for the trees were flying past, the dogs were tearing ahead, and she was sailing through the snow like she never had before. Instantly, she felt better, and laughed while holding the reins and leaning through a turn. The trail forked and twisted. Together they had taken all the routes multiple times, and she decided to let the dogs lead this one. They were obviously in for the long haul, for they skipped the trails that branched off to the right and continued deeper into the forest. They passed the familiar large rock that signaled that they weren't too far from a small clearing, 
and she wasn't surprised that they were headed that way. They had encountered many things together at this clearing. It was one of Paul's favorite places to hunt, for the river ran close by, and so it attracted wildlife of all kinds. In the summer, the area nearby turned marshy, which made it an ideal place for spotting moose. Now, however, it would be, well, clear, save for the odd squirrel and occasional hare. She was recalling the time that they had spotted a coyote last winter, when the trees suddenly opened up around them and the sky broke through. All other thoughts vanished as she pulled on the reins and the dog slowed and came to an obedient halt. She was panting as much as the dogs were, and the sounds echoed off the trees around them. One lone small pine stood in the center just off to the side of the clearing, as if the other trees had respectfully given it space to grow. It was a singular feature on an otherwise blank canvas. Catherine stepped down from the sled and approached the tree. In the summer, she would often sit underneath it, writing in a small journal. What did she write? Things she would never share with anyone else. Not even you nor I. Rufus made a small sound behind her, but she paid it no mind. This was her happy place, and she was content to stand beneath the speckled sunlight breaking through the branches. It was a perfect morning, and for the first time in the past week, she was glad that it was winter. The days had been long and gray, and it was easy to ache for summer's warmth and light. Now, however, winter had spun its magic, and the dogs had strung her along. There was no fighting it. A small crack of a branch behind her brought her back to the clearing. She could feel the dogs react before she saw them, feel the hackles go up and the ears drop back against their necks. Before she could turn to see what it was, Rufus was already growling. At first, she didn't have a clue what was going on. She blinked and squinted to get a better look through the sun's glare off the snow. Her eyes caught movement, the branch that she must have heard, swaying back and forth ever so slightly before coming to a stop. But other than that, nothing. She stood as still as she could, all her senses in high alert. The dogs were all looking back in the direction they had just come from. Still, Catherine couldn't see anything. Her eyes flicked to the dogs briefly to try and catch their sight line, and then followed it out back into the forest. Nothing. Not a sound. No movement. What had gotten into them? She looked again. There must be something there, for now Lisa was growling, her teeth barred. All of a sudden, Catherine had an urge to arm herself, grab something, anything that she could defend herself with. Her eyes darted left and right in search of a branch or a stone protruding from the snow, but all she found was a sea of white. She pulled in a deep breath and tried to exhale slowly to brace herself for whatever was approaching, for something clearly was. But where was it, damn it? There was still no sign of anything. And then she heard it again. 
This time it came from off to her right, and she snapped to attention in sync with the dogs. And that's when she saw more white and branches. No animal, nothing distinguishable. Wait, that wasn't quite true. Now something was there, only it wasn't. Although her eyes couldn't catch any movement or shape, the hairs on the back of her neck went up with the dog's hackles, and she could sense the presence. Right there. Not off in the distance, not approaching. Already here. Something was in the clearing with them. Crunch. 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 She could hear it now. Whatever it was was coming closer. It sounded as if it was within ten feet from her, but that couldn't be true, for the clearing was empty and the snow unbroken. She had to get out. Now. She didn't know what it was, and she didn't care, but all of a sudden, the bright sun and clear, crisp winter air seemed more threatening than the darkest corner of a graveyard. The dogs seemed to share her sentiment, for now they were backing up towards the sled, still growling crunch. Now it was behind her, and she gasped before snapping out of her trance and running to the sled. She barely made it on before the dogs took off of their own accord, and she was nearly dragged along behind them before she managed to get both feet on the back and pull herself on. She didn't even bother to sit upright. She just lay on her stomach, fighting the urge to look back behind her to see if the nothing was following them. She couldn't hear anything, But then again, they were whipping through the forest along the trail so fast that the sound of the sled against the snow blocked out everything else. So did the blood pounding in her ears. It felt like an instant and an eternity all at the same time before they exploded out onto the field, the small house in the distance. The dogs tore towards the house as if on the path of an arrow, panting and heaving with the effort. Although she could easily run back to the house herself from this distance, Catherine held on for dear life, for she sensed that to fall off the sled now would be to be left behind to the nothing, still following them. The house grew larger and larger. They were nearly there. As they cut into the yard, She managed to grab hold of the reins and pull hard enough to stop them before they swung the sled into the side of the house. Although it was the last thing that she wanted to do, she couldn't help but look behind her across the field. What she saw didn't surprise her. Nothing. Just a beautiful winter morning and a shimmering snow-covered field rimmed with trees. She must have gotten spooked. Deja vu? A bad dream that briefly resurfaced? But then why did the dogs react the way they did? Were they all going crazy? Had the long winter gotten to them? She didn't tell Paul anything about her experience in the clearing when he got back. However, she did pay close attention to see if he had encountered anything strange in the forest. Everything seemed normal with him, though so she brushed it off. The memory was fading fast, and she must have imagined it anyhow. She resolved to forget all about it and sleep it off. That night, however, proved to be the opposite of what she had hoped for. 
She awoke to a familiar sound, her dogs howling. Although, come to think of it, that wasn't so familiar after all. She would often hear Rufus go off, but not the rest of them. What had gotten them so agitated? Quietly, she stepped out of bed and crossed to the window. She could see her pack down below, all of which were pulling tight against their tethers in the same direction, towards the field. She looked out across the expanse of white and could see nothing. She half expected to see a bear emerge from the forest the way the dogs were reacting, but the field remained empty. And what's more, her vision was fogged. She blinked and squinted again before realizing that it wasn't her vision at all. It was the glass. Ice had formed around it, as if framing the image of the field in a stained glass border that was slowly encroaching. It must be colder outside than she thought, for she could visibly see the ice working its way to the center of the window. Instinctively, she stepped back. Then she saw the footprints. They appeared on the glass. Small, like children's feet, but clearly there. They worked their way up from the bottom of the window towards the center, etched in the newly formed ice. Now she was stumbling back into the dark room, her husband snoring no longer audible, for all her senses were heightened and focused on the window in front of her. The footprints had planted themselves next to one another in the center of the glass, as if the apparition had stopped and was standing, waiting for her. Then they faded. She watched as the ice took over the window once again. This must be a bad dream, nothing more. She exhaled and was about to turn back to bed when a new print appeared. And that's when she heard her dogs. Fear clenched her gut and she ran back to the window, but it was now opaque with ice. She tried lifting the bottom half, but the ice had frozen the window completely shut. She could hear the dogs below, fighting with something, growls punctured by yelps, and she strained with all her might to pry the window open, but it wouldn't budge. Small black patches appeared across the glass, as if something, a squirrel perhaps, were walking upwards across it. But what kind of squirrel could hold on to sheer ice? The paw prints were small, though. A hiss from below raised the hairs on the back of her neck. Thank you for listening thus far. In a moment, we'll join Catherine at the window. But first, I'd like to let you know that we have new original spooky stories coming every three weeks. So follow the show on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy your time in this haunting town, can I ask a small favor? Can you tell one person, just one person, that you think might enjoy the podcast about Dark River? It's always looking for new travelers. Also, please consider leaving a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Your kind recommendation would greatly help the show and would mean so much to me.
But now, let's return to the window. A hiss from below raised the hairs on the back of Catherine's neck. A low, long yowl filled the room. Catherine turned to search for the source of it, but saw only her husband sound asleep. He didn't even stir. The yowl continued in one long, steady drone, getting louder by the moment. Now it sounded like it was coming through the glass, and she turned back in time to see the claw marks gouging the ice, like nails on a chalkboard. She tore downstairs, heading straight for the front door. Blind panic had taken hold. Her boots were there. She blazed right past them. She slammed open the front door and ran out into the snow towards the dogs, her feet still bare. She didn't feel a thing. Everything was numb. Even her vision was blurred. The sight in front of her didn't make sense, like a bad painting. Rufus, Lisa, and Harley were lying on their backs, paws up in the air, heads turned out towards the field. Catherine had never heard her dogs whimper before. They looked as if some great invisible foot had stomped on each of them, pinning them to the ground. She followed their gaze out across the field and saw a set of tracks. Copper was gone. The tracks led out towards the forest. His leash had been chewed through. She called his name. No response. She called again. And again. And again. The darkness swallowed her voice, carrying it away on the wind. A burning sensation filled her chest, and a weight dropped into her gut as she saw the other tracks around her. They were smaller. The cat had circled the dogs multiple times before approaching them, one by one. Then they led to where Copper had been tied up and were punctured by a larger indent, as if the cat had simply sat in front of the Chinook. From there, they continued out across the field, side by side with the dogs. Now Catherine's feet were starting to burn, but she didn't care. She walked out across the field. It didn't take long before she reached the end of Copper's tracks. They ceased mid-stride, as if the dog had been taken away on the wind before he reached the forest. The cats, however, continued a bit farther before small human footprints replaced them. They walked on and on until the forest swallowed them whole. This has been a tale from Dark River, written and hosted by me, Philip Sutka. I also produce the show as well as compose the music for it. The podcast artwork was done by Chris Basitka. For more history of small town life in northern Ontario in the early 20th century, be sure to follow our Instagram at Dark River Podcast. 
Though based on actual history, this story is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living, dead, or other is entirely coincidental and unintentional. Thank you for stopping by, and see you soon.